at first I was like, just wave your hands. What's the worst that could happen? Then got to the office and I was kind of like, I shouldn't have done that. Yes, all right, we are back. It is another episode of the Monarch Experience, and I am horse. That's right. Today, I am a horse. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I do have to apologize for my voice sounding a little bit raspy. I have been battling a cold, but I am winning, so I'll be fine. But today, we've got an episode on bad reputations, what makes a bad reputation, why certain students or teens get bad reps, what causes a bad reputation, how do you shake a bad reputation once it's already happened, do friends have an enormous factor in this, do families have an enormous factor in this, and just in general, what adults could do to do a better job of understanding teens and misconceptions about their bad reputations in general. But first, before we get into this conversation today about bad reputations, we only got one today, but today our major shout-out goes out to the Staff Room Podcast. Che and Pav are ardent adherents of this podcast, and they are doing an enormously fantastic job with their own podcast, the Staff Room Podcast, which is which is a must-listen to if you're an educator or if you're just someone who likes understanding the ins and outs of, of teaching and how things work. They do a really great job of keeping it light, keeping... Their communication is fantastic, and they really have an awesome thing going there. Give them a listen. They're fantastic. And another major shout-out. I think we would be remiss if we did not shout-out our most loyal listener. He's here in studio with us today, Carl the Potted Plant. Carl, we love you. We appreciate how you have stood by our side throughout all 14 episodes that we've done so far. Um, you have not left. You have not moved. You have rooted yourself in this room, and we are forever thankful. Carl the Potted Plant, you are our biggest fan. You are our biggest supporter, and we love you for it. All right, enough of this nonsense. Today, we have two incredible students that are here today to talk about bad reputations. They're making funny faces because I described them as incredible, but they are. Uh, we got Colin. Colin, say something to our listeners. Hello. Dom, say something to our listeners. Hola, mi amigos. All right, we're multicultural today. How are you guys doing? Good, how Good. are you? I, ooh, no one's ever asked me how I'm doing. In all the episodes, I throw sometimes like a very casual, how you doing? And I always get the obvious answer, which is, Good. And in this case, I know, in this case, you guys are the only ones to ever return it and say, how are you? That's something called manners. Right? I know. And figures, we're doing an episode on bad reputations, and you're asking me how I'm doing. I'm doing great. Again, little horse, nay, but I'll be all right. So we're talking about bad reputations today, but before we get into this conversation, there is something that people want to know, especially once they found out that Colin and Dominic were going to be on this episode. They want to know, what is your biggest pet peeve? Because I myself... I have quite a few, but I know what my biggest pet peeve is, and I'm dying to hear yours. Can I say two? You can do whatever you want. This is the Monarch experience. We don't have any rules. Oh, we do have. We do have some rules. rules. Yeah, we do have some rules. I got to make sure I know my audience here. <laughs> biggest pet peeve, Dom. Go ahead. Two. All right. Number one, 
This is very weird. I don't like when people stand in doorways. I know, that is weird. It's not weird knowing you because <laughs> I see you interacting with people in doorways, in doorways every single day. Why? Because um, it's kind of just like, especially when they're like oblivious that they're blocking the door. Okay. And they're like talking to someone, they're standing in the door. It's kind of just like, I need to get in there. I don't want to be late to class. Get out before I like kick you. Yeah, they're getting in the way of your learning. In my yeah, in the way of my learning. And in your personal space. In my personal space. What's your other pet peeve? People are breathing into the mic on Xbox. Oh, like like mouth breathing. That, that's pretty bad. When I'm not <laughs> Colin's gonna go ahead and do it. You're not doing it right. You gotta so, go. so uncomfortable. So they're playing a game. Is this in the middle of a conversation? Or is this just like they have their mic on and they're just breathing heavily into yes, it? Yes. Yeah, that's very uncomfortable. It's one thing if you're talking and you're breathing and you take a breath like I'm about to do right now. But it's different if you're just uncomfortably breathing into the mic. What do yeah. you do? Do you tell them to like shut off their mic? Yeah. Do they do it? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. If they don't do it, do you get out of the game or do you deal with it? He just mutes them. Mute right. them or leave the party. Okay. Or kick my screen. Okay. All or all three. Yeah. Colin, what are your pet peeves? Definitely hypocrites. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's really specific. That's great. Yeah. Um, we had a friend. He was very into biking. Okay. And your he... friend's name is Biking. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay, I like it. Biking. Biking. Very into biking, biking. Who is into biking? And um, he uh, he had this thing. Where he would like to call people, um, cocky. Okay. And he was the king of being cocky. Okay. And this started my pet peeve for hypocrites. So every time said someone, like, even like small things, like if someone, if someone's doing, like, if they say, oh, why didn't you do your homework? Even though they didn't do their homework, like a week ago. So he's the one that's going to call you out on something immediately, even though he's someone yeah. who's going to engage in this typical behavior himself. And that started my, my pet peeve. It's, it's gotten pretty big now. Like, yeah. I, listen, I don't think anybody likes hypocrites in general, but when you right. know someone who is hypocritical in nature, it becomes yeah. really, really hard to deal with them. And half the time, put on my psychologist uh, hat, half the time it becomes more of a deflection of their own insecurities or projection of their own insecurities. Um, my biggest pet peeve, I am not shy about addressing it, is when people don't turn their blinkers on when they're driving. Something that's not going to really apply to you guys too much. Yes, it does. Yeah? Because we bike a lot. Oh! Alright, so remember, alright, so Colin was riding one day, and if you know the way to the school and you've seen it before, the place near Quick Check, right? It, um, it has a little, it has two lanes, and one of them's a turning lane. Yeah. Oh, yes. So, she was in the... She was in the wrong lane. The lane she was in the forward. lane to go straight. She had her blinker on going left. And she turned left. Without her blinker. In the wrong lane. In All right. In the so non-turning Okay. In this specific spot. Which is unbelievably dangerous for you who's on a bike, obviously. Yes. Right? You're not surrounded by metal. And she was in... There was two lanes. One is to go straight okay. and or left. And the right one is to go straight and or right. Okay. She was in the right lane and took a very sharp left turn and was... I'd say probably about a foot and a half away from my left side. So yeah, like see, feet. that's that's why that's a big pet peeve of mine. Because for me, when you're driving, I, I love putting on my signals. I put my signals on going into my driveway. That's how intense I am about it. If I look to the left, I'll put my... No, I don't do that. 
yeah, to me though, like you have to be aware that other people don't know your intentions. And for me, surrounded in a metal car, it's pretty dangerous. But for you guys, especially on a bike, like that becomes even more important that you're aware. Especially at the time because I wasn't wearing a helmet. Unbelievable. That's another pet peeve I have. Not wearing your helmet. No, I'm kidding. Wear your helmet. I actually have to go out of my way. I can't help it. I, every single time, no matter what my mood is, I could be in the best of moods or the worst of moods, but I always have to say, oh, I guess that person's blinkers don't work. Every single time someone doesn't put their blinkers on. Because to me, it is an obstruction of my, I don't know, I hate it. It's endangering you. It's endangering my life. And I'm important. Carl the potted plant would miss me so much. And you would miss him. I would, well, I'd be dead. Well, if I was hurt, so I think that's my, I think he's the least of my concerns. Well, you'd go to purgatory. I would, so. yeah, I would wait for him. All right, and I would never leave until. Um, all right, so let's talk about bad reputations. You guys came to me a couple weeks ago. We were chatting about figuring out an idea to do for the podcast, and you came up with the idea of students or teens who have a bad rep. And I think the first thing we have to address is how do people get a bad reputation? whether it's in school or at home or with their peers, like how does it go from, because we all make mistakes, how does it go from someone making a, a foolish mistake to, oh, that person tends to make those mistakes often? There are multiple like ways, and I'll give you an example. So, so if you keep on doing that, you're going to get the reputation for, oh, yeah, he does that a lot instead of doing it once and people forget about it the next day. So even if it's something small, if yeah. it's repetitive – or it's an ongoing behavior, that's where a rep starts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, could it be something that's enormous that you do that automatically like labels you, or does it typically have to be repetitive in your eyes? I think it has to be repetitive at least twice. Okay. Yeah. Colin, no, how do you feel? Or, two or three times at least. Um, like in sixth grade, it was a bad thing. It still sometimes affects me, but sixth grade, I did like no homework. Okay. Like ever. I know you're you're my teacher. You you know I am. Yes, yes, you are. Oh, I am. That's right. My teachers did not like it, so I had to get back on track with it. So you didn't. So did you create a reputation for yourself that was one where you're a student who doesn't do homework? Is that because it happened? Obviously, like you said multiple times. Yes. Okay. At what point do you think not doing homework then becomes like you become the person who, oh, just doesn't do the homework? Do your teachers anticipate that you're not going to do it? Um, it did get to a point like that. Like, I'd say after like probably maybe two weeks. And then when I finally started doing it again, I felt like good about myself that I'm doing it, but I wasn't getting recognition for it because it's a norm to do it. Yeah. But it became the norm for me not to do it. So I felt, oh, I'm being a good student. It feels so good, but I'm not getting recognized for it. And so much of your behavior, then I'm sure, if it's behavioral and you're acting out, is because you're looking for the attention. Yeah. You're looking for some kind of re you're looking for some kind of reinforcement of anything you believe, and then it, and it sucks too because as soon as you then start doing what you're supposed to do, you stop getting recognized, and it's almost like thanks for falling in line. So I think one of the things that I researched when I was prepping for this episode is I started reading from, of all places, Forbes. Uh, Forbes, the Business Insider magazine, was breaking down like how people in the business world or in high-ranking positions get themselves a bad rep. And while we're not talking about like, you know running or being a CEO or running a company, I think the things that they break down are really effective, especially at a level of where you guys are at in your lives as teenagers. 
The thing that stood out to me the most was that Forbes believes that bad reps start when you don't do what you say you'll do. Have you guys talked to me about this? Have you experienced instances that you can reflect on where you've where you've seen other people not act based off of what they say they'll do, where that creates a stigma? Um, yeah, I'd say like people are like if you give them some money on your oh just pay me back next time you see me. And it just keeps going on and on. They're like, oh, I don't have it right now. I'll get it to you next time I see you. And it just keeps going on and on like that. I love it. Not doing what you say you'll do creates a reputation. Obviously, that's bad because you're being dishonest. Um, Colin, you mentioned the whole idea of like money. Someone's like, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. I'm good for it. I'm good for it. And then they never actually do it. So like say you promise a teacher that you're going to be good. Sure. But you're not. And good is so vague which it feels like, you know, you're going to be good most of the time. Like the majority of your life, the majority of your day, you're going to be doing quote unquote good actions. Really all that means, especially in school a lot of times, is you're going to be doing actions that are not bad. So how hard is it for your teachers to see an absence of bad behavior? Because they only, typically adults, I'm speaking on behalf of adults, whether it's parents or teachers, we tend to only notice the bad behavior, and it's very seldom that we reward you or acknowledge or give you props for when you're just simply doing what you're supposed to do. Does that become even more harmful when you are so-called someone with a bad reputation and you're like, look, I'm doing the right thing. I'm not doing anything bad. Give me some kind of attention so at least I know that like I'm on the right track. Do you, Dom, do you feel like that that's the case? I feel like that is something that really affects someone. Okay. So like in what way? Um I've figured this out that if you have a bad reputation, it's going to get you more in trouble, but they're never going to look at anything you do good. It's easier to like get in trouble if you have a bad reputation. So do you think if you did behavior A, I don't know, what's a behavior you can pick? Like you get up out of your seat somewhere, okay? Let's just go there. If you and someone else who doesn't have a bad reputation do the same exact behavior, does that immediately make like you the target? Yes. How come? And not you in general, because we're not saying that you have a bad reputation, but just in like for like anyone who has a bad rep in general, they cannot do their homework. Let's go back to that, what, what Colin was saying. They cannot do their homework. And then someone else who doesn't have a bad reputation doesn't do their homework also, but it's kind of like a, okay, make sure you do it next time. Whereas maybe you, Colin, as someone who said you didn't do your homework in sixth grade, you would get in trouble for it because you have a bad rep. Why is that the case? I'd say because they're more expecting of it. Okay. Like, I If you'd like, there's like a straight A student versus me, I was probably like the high C's and the B's okay. at that time. So if you have a straight A student and they miss a homework, they'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll get it in next time. You'd be like, oh, all right, all right, all right. But whereas if I said, oh, yeah, I don't have my homework, be like, oh, what else is new? You said something really fascinating. You made the straight A student in this hypothetical situation say that they'll have it in for next time. Do they typically have it in for next time? Yeah. And then you said you, I noticed that you didn't say that. Is that something that from your personal experience that you kind of act on? Uh, yeah, I'd say. Okay. Probably, yes. So maybe that kind of fills, like, fits in with that stigma. So Forbes also breaks down the idea of, like, why bad reputations get formed also is the idea that they 
or other things that people with bad reputations do is they tend to point the finger at other people, or they don't cover for other people. So obviously in like the CEO or running a company idea, it would be deflecting blame, never taking ownership of things. Do you see that in like the middle school level or like 13, 14? Oh yeah. Go ahead, break it down. So like, they don't want to get in trouble. So I'm going to point that out on somebody else. And that's the easiest thing to do. Yes. Does that create a culture of a bad reputation for the person? Someone blaming everyone else? Yeah, so like if, I, if I'm if i pointing the finger at everyone else, I'm like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it was this guy, it was this guy. If I'm doing my best like Shaggy impersonation, just constantly saying it wasn't me, does that... Thanks, Colin appreciated that. How am I looked at as? Um, two ways. So if in some situations blaming someone else may be like true. Yeah. But in the contrary, if you like keep blaming everybody for everything, that... Obviously, with you, so say like, knock over the water bottle and it spills. Like, really, Colin? My like bad. The water bottle's like all the way over there. Okay. So people are gonna look at you like, oh, you don't want to take blame for anything. You're not responsible. Really, oh, Mister? Oh, I, I couldn't help it. <laughs> Is the behavior of like taking ownership like an admirable trait? Yeah, they're admitting to it. Like, at least they have the dignity. Like, oh yeah, it's me. Like, they're not afraid to have the blame on them. And recognize that, like, they are at fault. Yeah. Okay. Um, and not having that ability to reflect and be like, yeah, that was me. It was all my fault. That tends to be a trait that we don't want to associate with, and it sounds like. I'd say our friend group, like, specifically. Do you think they get a bad rep? Oh, yeah. Okay. Our, our, our table at lunch. <laughs> Probably yeah. has one of the worst in okay. school. Why do you think that? Because I immediately am thinking of the whole, the dreaded phrase that as teachers or lunch aides or anyone in the lunchroom, that we just like, we cringe when we hear it because we just know it's going to cause an issue. It's not mine. And like the idea that the it's not mine theory is because you're pointing the finger and you're not just taking ownership for your table and i'm not directing this towards you guys obviously but just in any any spot in the lunchroom where it's like where it's like i'm sure (laughs) listen i'm sure most tables at some point have had that happen at their table where it's like someone says hey dude make sure you just go toss that We're, we're nearing the end and the response is it's not mine and immediately that creates a stigma or bad rep on that table on that person that they are someone that points the finger at other places so the more i think about it the more i think that forbes kind of has it right that like we look at things where people don't take ownership, even for something as simple as like just toss that water bottle. Well, it's not mine, and then that creates this bad rep. So that next thing you know, four days later, a week later, you're being labeled as the table that's like the bad table, and not that anyone's bad, but just the behavior is not what people are looking for. One of the reasons that I found really fascinating is that researchers, and this is something that if you're if you're if you are have any experience either working with teenagers, um, if you have a teenager of your own, because we always got parents out there listening, Dom and Colin are both raising their hands saying they do. Um, uh, Or even if you're just familiar with adolescent research, the Journal of Research of Adolescence breaks down the idea that teens' brains, especially emotional, continue to grow and develop into their 20s, into their mid-20s. Uh, and that that's a huge factor possibly in why teenagers get bad reps. They have impulse control. 
do you guys notice that people that you know, or maybe yourselves, if you identify as this, who have bad reputations, do they have impulse control issues? Do they have a hard time basically going, it's not a good idea in the moment? Yes. Why? Dom, you seem very passionate about that. Because I feel in the moment, a lot of teenagers may not think about the consequences. Why is that? I mean, I know that the research is saying that, like, your brains just aren't fully developed. How great of an excuse is that? Next time they get in trouble, if you're a teenager, you can easily just go by the excuse of, well, research indicates that my brain hasn't fully developed, so it's not my fault. <laughs> um, why do you think that's the case, Dom? Like if, especially if you, if it's been a pattern too, like you said, like bad reputations form when someone does something repetitively, if it's been a pattern, why can't teens then maybe see that like, this is going to lead to a negative consequence? Some, maybe they just don't care. You think it's as simple as that? It can be. Okay. That's how I feel in a lot of situations. Like care about the consequence. I don't care if I wave at a gym teacher or my mom. Okay. Definitely not explicit. That happened to because that's not impulse control then. That's more of like a conscious decision. You're like, I'm going to act like this and I know the consequence. And I genuinely don't care. Because then when the consequence happens, you're like, whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, Dom, and I think that's a legitimate part of it. What about where you kind of have that feeling of, and look, I've been there a billion times. Uh, you say something and you immediately, the, the consequence almost becomes immediately. And you just go, what was I thinking? And you, you have all the sorry set up. You have all the like, I totally screwed this one up. This is on me. But in the moment, you just can't help yourself. What? Like, why is that? Because I'm not a teenager. And I still have an issue with that sometimes as well. My wife listens to this episode. She'll totally agree. Saying, like, think before you speak. Like, there was a certain case where a certain student in our school was called up to the front of the cafeteria for sitting with another student that was excluded from the group for misbehaving. Okay. And as he was being called up, he was acting as if he was proud of okay. being called up. He was waving his hands. He was like, he was making it as if it was like a good thing that he was getting called up. And everything he was doing in the process of being called up added to the, um, added to the, consequence or the punishment did the person know that it was not a good thing yes okay because because sometimes that could be the miscommunication sometimes people get bad reps because like they genuinely just misread the situation then they didn't think but you're saying this is a different story the person's waving their hands you're making the signal so i could see it but our listeners out there can't really see it they're you're doing like the the pump up the crowd yeah like, thing that you yeah, see well, in you football like, nod like, your head too. yeah so you're basically this person's looking for like attention attention from the crowd to make everyone I laugh. I think the person actually got like a week's worth of lunch detention. Okay. Three days of lunch detention. <laughs> Dom is clarifying. So Dom, obviously, we're, we're kind of dancing around it. We're, we're playfully talking about it. But in the middle of that, because, listen, you're not the first person to act like that and react like that. You're certainly not going to be the last person to react like that. And in fact, uh, adults sometimes act like that, where if they're being admonished or called out in front of people, they might kind of look for negative attention and do the wrong thing, even though, even though they know that the consequence is going to be there. In the middle of it, you're raising your hands up. You feel like a rock star. Did you think that there was going to be some kind of negative consequence? Yes and no. Okay. Walk me through your thought process with this. At first, I was like, just wave your hands. What's the worst that could happen? Then got to the office and I was kind of like, 
I shouldn't have done that. Immediately? That was a stupid idea. Okay. What made you realize, like, that was a stupid idea? Because you were, like, you said you were raising your hands and Dom is saying people were cheering you on. Like, where did it go from, like, oh, yeah, you're getting that, that dopamine dump of, like, this is great. I'm getting a response. I feel awesome. To all of a sudden, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Probably in the office. Do you notice what's different between the office then and the, the calf? Um, it's more serious because you're sitting in front of someone that can discipline you. Okay. Uh, you have less of an audience. Yeah, man. I think that's a huge part of it. And I think that the removal of the audience immediately, I think for a lot of people, helps them realize the gravity of the situation. Because think about how many times, you know, and this doesn't necessarily mean a bad reputation, but think about how many times you've gotten into an argument with a friend and you've got a group of people around. Don't you feel more confident that you can yeah. say what you want because you've almost got like this like support system? If they're on my side, then yes. I know that if I'm like hanging out at my parents' house and I got my brothers there, my wife is there, and somebody does something that's kind of foolish, my brothers and I, or even says something, my brothers and I can kind of jump on that person and we're so much more likely to make it a big production in the scene and kind of like make fun of them a little bit. I mean, we're family. We love each other. Everybody kind of understands that they're in on it. But we're more likely to do it because there's an audience than if it was if they were not present at dinner. And I think that that becomes a huge factor in it. So Steinberg actually is someone who's done research on this. And he believes that teens are more likely to engage in a risky behavior when there's an audience. And he literally says, quote, when the reward centers of the brain are activated, it tends to make individuals focus more on the potential rewards that they face rather than the downsides. Last point on the, on the cafeteria example, what potential rewards were there? Making people laugh. Yeah. Isn't that like the, one of the best rewards imaginable, especially for guys like you who are so personable. You've got like this electric personality. You guys have charisma. You guys understand kind of how to hold an audience. I have the benefit of having you both in the same class and you guys do an awesome job with that. And you have that captivating personality. And when you get that reward of hearing people laugh based off of something you said or did. It's a very big boost of confidence yeah man absolutely it's a huge boost of confidence you feel like you can do anything and then what do you want to do immediately after that you keep going yeah again it becomes like that dopamine dump you get a little bit of taste of that reward of like they're laughing and it's because i did something that made them smile and then you want to do it again and then if the laughter grows you just keep on building off of it so i think that's a huge part of it and i think steinberg is really breaking something down that it makes a ton of sense and I think one of the, the hard things for adults to understand, whether it's parents, teachers, or, or any kind of authoritative or authority figure in your lives is um, Professor Blakemore, who is, uh, got to give him some creds, is an award-winning professor of cognitive neuroscience, the University of London. Yeah. That sounds very difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely difficult. Just the words alone are difficult. Um, he has a really fascinating quote that I strongly agree with. He says that teenagers get a really bad rap and we mock them and demonize them more than we do any section of society. I'm going to kind of stop there for a second. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yes. Where do you think teenagers are mocked in society? And it has to come from adults. And, and I'm not talking like adults that you maybe encounter on a daily basis, but like adults just in general, where do they mock teenagers? 
Maybe in ways they dress. Okay, totally. Dress. Ways they dress. Music. Absolutely. Music. That will happen, Hobbies. probably. Hobbies. Oh, my God. The way you talk. Yeah. Gaming. The way you talk, absolutely. They'll mock, like, the, oh, that's lit, yo. Like, four years ago. And you'll see every student just kind of cringe and slap their face and be like, ugh, what are you doing? But it's done in a mocking way. Now, what um, about their feelings and actions? Yeah, probably. In what way? Um, Like... Probably around, like, late high school to, like, college level. It's very stressful on students. And adults, like, don't, a lot of people don't understand it. They're like, oh, you're faking depression. You're faking, faking anxiety. And they didn't well, it's experience not that bad. it. Yeah, and they didn't, they didn't have the stress of, like, social media or anything like that when they were going through it. So all they had to focus on was keeping their grades up and getting, like, degrees or final marking period or semester grades and stuff like that whereas there's a lot more to it now and with colin what's amazing with that too is they've gone through it emotionally but they've just had different things yeah that they're coping with so they didn't have social media but they had maybe more face-to-face time yeah right they didn't have like games or any type of like video games but they had games they play with their friends dumb so also something else is everyone's saying you need to get your grades up you need to get your grades up but my mom even brought this up school is so much different now totally and school's harder and it's just different and getting back to the thing that people just care about the grade Mm -hmm. a lot of parents just care about their kids grades they don't care about anything else on how they're doing how they feel like what friends they have or who they're hanging out with or bad influences. They just care about their grade. They just want that mark and they're happy. And that's hard. And I feel like that can lead into a bad reputation because that may make you act like different. Yeah, you're going to act out. Because if you're not getting whatever that number is, it becomes literally so objective where it becomes, becomes, did I achieve this goal or did I fail this goal? And then it's, you either got there or you didn't. Yeah, and I feel like that could also be like a stereotype. Uh, Dom, I think that's such a great point. School is so different then compared to right now. It, what In what way do you think mom was referring to? Time period. In in what way, though? Because like, I'm sure I can think of ways that school was different for me compared to how it is for you. Um, what do you think mom was referring to when she said that? Maybe like material that we have to do or what we have to do. The content? Yeah, content. Do you think – does mom look at what you have to do and say – Dang, that's harder than what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think mom's a teacher. Yeah, so it's I like, so she even knows because she's yeah. she's been on both sides. But to continue with Professor Blakemore's quote, he says that, and it's not right. Obviously, it's his opinion. Uh, they're going through an important stage of their development that they need to go through. Most parents, all right, now so now we're poo pooing on parents. Most parents don't know that their teenagers are undergoing such a transformation. And I think Colin, you hit it on the head when you said that they say things like, "Like it's not that bad." Or you're not really feeling that stress. You got to just some, you know, one that I'm sure a lot of older people have a hard time with adjusting to in 2019 is you just got to toughen up or just, you know, you just got to deal with it. And that's not the most effective way to handle it because as an adult, sometimes I can just deal with it because I'm a fully developed adult. My brain is as, my brain is as developed as it's going to be. I'm not saying it's fully developed. And I think that one of the hardest things when adults talk to, to teens is that they don't understand that part of this is their decision-making process is, is developing right now. They don't genuinely understand 
why they're making decisions the way they do. They understand the ramifications after, but in the middle of it, it's a giant confusion. And I think a big part of that is that he tries to credit the idea that you're learning a lot about yourselves and you're creating an identity of who yourself is. This is going to be super meta. I'm going to try to avoid getting too deep with this. But the whole idea of learning who yourself is and who you are really starts kind of happening now at this stage and this age that you guys are in. Because you start having things like FOMO, fear of missing out for, for the adults that are listening. They're yeah, like, that. what? The whole idea of fear of missing out. Because how many times have you done something that maybe wasn't a good decision because you were like, well, everyone else is doing it. And I, I want to make sure that I, I don't miss out on this opportunity to hang out with this group. I feel like that happens when I want to go out with my friends. Yeah. I don't want to miss out on hanging out with them. In, in the moment, you're kind of like, oh, homework, I'll just do that later. And you're totally not going to do it later. Yeah, you're not going to do it later. You may like open your Chromebook or book or whatever and be like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to complete that. Yeah, because building relationships, especially at this age, so important for you guys. Would you? How high would you rank your relationships with your friends? In all the things of like relationship with your parents, relationship with your with your teachers, uh, doing your homework, studying, doing whatever chores you have to do, whatever responsibilities. Where would you rank keeping strong friendships? Either one or two. Colin, probably one or two. Yeah, because family probably comes first. Okay. To be honest, they, they actually to tie back to the whole idea where we're chatting about with the audience. Uh, Blake Moore also believes that risk taking in multiple studies is way more apparent when in the presence of peers. Um, and they did a number of studies that kind of broke this down, and that's the conclusion they came to. We talked earlier about stereotypes. Do you think do you think boys are more likely to earn a bad reputation dealing with behavior than girls? I'd say the odds aren't like any higher. I just feel like it's more common for boys to be that like class clown or like the the person who acts up more and that will cause a worse reputation. Okay. Whereas, like, if someone thinks of girl, they'll think of well-behaved, good grades, and, uh, like, stuff like that. The stereotype. The first, thing they come, the first thing that comes to mind isn't, oh, that girl that misbehaves in class. Because you're not thinking of class clown when you think of your stereotypes yeah. when you're looking at boys and girls comparatively. Yeah. Dom, you agree with that? Yes, I do agree with that. I also feel like girls do develop faster, so they may, like, have... More, they may think more before they do the act. Their action. The reason. Whereas boys develop slower, so they really aren't thinking. I like it. We're just we're like, hey, listen, this is just this is science. It's the biology of how we're set up. Our girls will be like, oh, that oh, that those boys are so immature. We're like, yeah, they are. Yeah, we yeah we're, we're supposed to be. Yeah. We're we're right on schedule. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. Um, so it almost feels like you have like a bigger hill to climb then. Because you got impulse control. You got the fact that like you're, you're at this developmental stage cognitively where you're, like, your brains are still developing. And the fact that your guys hurts as well. Yes. So when it comes to how it affects a person, whether personal or just in general, how do you see bad reputations affecting a person? may make them like sad or feel like they can't fit in why has that become significant because that may like turn into how they act and may give them a worse reputation so the idea of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way 
they feel that they are not good enough or that they're bad. So, and this might sound crazy to some people who like don't understand the idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, but the idea that you act the way that you're told you are. So if somebody sees you as having a bad reputation, you then act to fulfill that behavior. Um, so that obviously that makes it almost, sounds like nearly impossible to shed this reputation. So how do you break out of that cycle? Because it's like someone looks at you and thinks that you are a, have a, you have a bad reputation. So because they think you have a bad reputation, you act like you have a bad reputation. And then they see that you have a bad reputation and they treat you like you have a bad rep. And then the cycle never ends. So how do you get out of that? Maybe like, do something that is going to just like work towards getting a better reputation. Like, how do you, but how do you do that though? Like that sounds, go out of your comfort zone. Okay, like how do you go out of your comfort zone? Like, what would that even look like? In general, Doing not for something you. You're not like comfortable with. Like, okay. say you're not that social, and you go socialize with somebody, not so friend. Okay. And I know it's not as easy as that. Of course, I, but I think just the idea of like what you could do and hearing it from you guys, because you guys are. You're, you're in this. You're, you're eighth graders. You're, you're 13, 14. Like you understand because you're living it day to day. Colin, good. I feel like I've been in both situations because like sixth grade, you can ask Dom. I was antisocial. Okay. And now you have me in, <laughs> you have me in first period. You yeah. see how much I talk. You are the opposite of antisocial, which yeah. I think is just social. Yeah. So like in sixth grade, I was that nerd in quotations that people would take answers from okay and i feel like if i changed from that or if i acted differently i'd be judged and it'll like it'll put me down even more so i didn't want to i didn't want to go out of my comfort zone and get myself like embarrassed or feel bad about myself be humiliated whereas when i finally started doing that over i'd say probably seventh grade to last summer uh i've become a lot more social and i see that it's not as bad as I thought it was at all. So you just have to put yourself out there and just your mind is going to like tell you that, Oh, this is going to happen or that's going to happen, but don't believe it. Just try. And if it does go bad, it's not going to last as long as you think it will. Like I talk a lot now where two years ago, you were around two years ago, I was, I didn't talk in class. I sat there, did my work, waited for the bell, went to my next period. I just, I dreaded going to school. Now, I, I love going to school. The Literally, the only thing I don't like about school is the work. Is working. Of course. But all my friends are in school. I'll go home. I'll go outside. That's another thing. I was very, I was very overweight when I was antisocial because I didn't talk to people that much. The people that I did talk was to. Was it because though, of the weight? Do you think that was a factor? Um, might have been, but the people I did talk to were online, and I played a lot of video games. But now, as I've slowly started going outside a lot more, working out more, playing more sports, started riding my bike, I've slimmed out. I went from like 5'2", like 192, to now I'm 5'10", 170. Dude, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I just, it's just so much better now. Colin, I think you break down so many important things, and the one that, that really stands out to me that I want to make sure that our listeners can, can process is sometimes your brain is not going to give you the best advice. And the whole idea where you said that like, you're gonna, your brain's going to tell you, don't do it, don't do it, or you're not comfortable doing it because it's hard work, 
things. Yeah, the, the biggest change is you have to get out of your comfort zone. That's where you make the greatest changes. That's where you make the greatest growth. And your brain is it's a survival tactic. It's trying to keep you alive or trying to keep you comfortable so that you can stay alive. And sometimes you have to kind of fight that. And I think that you bring up a great point with it. Yeah, um, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I love it. Love that quote. If you, if you, change is going to come if you're willing to change. But if you're not willing to do those things that you need to do to change, it's not going to happen. You're just going to sit there in that dark hole, yeah. sitting in your room playing video games. Breathing well, heavily into the microphone. Yes. <laughs> but now I, I went against what I said. I listened to my friends. I went out more. I talked. And now I'm just overall so much happier. Like I have a lot more friends. It's just so so much better of a time now. And it's helped you shed that bad reputation you felt like you had academically yeah. in sixth grade. And I think most change, any effective change, has to be uncomfortable. I've never gone through any type of significant change in my life that wasn't initially unbelievably uncomfortable. It, it's a part. That's what change is. It's a part of the process. All right. Thank you to Colin and Dom for being a part of this episode on bad reputations and how to shed it. This has been such an incredible episode for me just to be able to understand just a little bit more about what teenagers are thinking, why they're thinking. I, I constantly am saying this on social media all the time, but this podcast has helped me understand students, teenagers, people in general so much more than I ever thought I could because this is such a great opportunity. You know, it, It's not a tagline when I say that the Monarch Experience is the platform that allows students to voice things that are important to them. And in this case... Colin and Dominic were able to talk about bad reputations, how it affects them, how the perception of it could affect them. Uh, and I hope that this was you found this to be valuable because for me, this is tremendously valuable. Uh, make sure that you subscribe so that you can stay uh, in the know with all future episodes. Make sure that you're looking on Anchor, our hosting platform, or you can find us anywhere that podcasts are available, whether it's Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, any of your places of choosing, make sure you leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so you can continue to help this platform grow. Uh, make sure you find and add us on Snapchat at the Monarch Experience Podcast. Obviously, you know that we still got the challenge going. Snap a picture of you listening to the podcast in the most unique place imaginable, and I will hook you up with a prize. Uh, hey, it's Halloween. I got a lot of leftover candy, so you know, hit me up on the Snapchat uh, or follow us on Twitter at the Monarch experience the monarch xp so you can keep yourself in the loop i'm gonna cautiously say goodbye and say thanks for listening see ya Turn it